the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by Border Hawk News on 930 AM, The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer, here in San Antonio. We've got a packed show for you, as usual. So let me uh, tell you who our guests are on this beautiful Saturday, November 6th, 2021. Uh, Our program, of course, is brought to you courtesy of Border Hawk News. Our guests this week are Congressman Chip Roy, who will be chatting with us about uh, the continued efforts by the Democrats to pass this social bill, this socializing bill that's going to change our our lives and bring in more socialism. Uh, We also have uh, Mr. John Baines, a veterans advocate here in San Antonio, talking about Veterans Day and the veterans and the the Vietnam War Memorial that um, uh, he has helped to put together here in San Antonio. We also have Ira Melman from FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform. He is going to be chatting with us about the continued the continued effort by the Biden administration to um, lay waste to uh, border controls. Uh, we also have our final guest is Mr. Todd Bensman, a regular guest with us, who's going to be talking to us about his latest... Uh, uh, article and uh, what we call the Darien Gap, which is a uh, which is basically the isthmus of Panama, and uh, all of the things that are happening there, my friends. It is very, very disturbing what is happening uh, in, in that area with regards to illegal immigration that eventually impacts on our border. So, without further ado, my friends, welcome to the show. Let's go to our first guest. Congressman Chip Roy from the 21st District of Texas. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. And we've got uh, our good friend, Congressman Chip Roy from the 21st District of Texas. And uh, I wanted to reach out to him because he's been kind of busy fighting for us in uh, in Washington. Uh, I want to ask him about, uh, first of all, this uh, impeachment that he has uh uh, filed or that he has uh, proposed for Mayorkas, the uh, Homeland Secretary, as well as uh, his idea of this proposed idea by the Democrats of four hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars in reparation for families that were separated at the border. Uh, I mean, I guess uh, one point nine trillion that they're talking about passing is not enough. Congressman, welcome to the show. Talk to us. Tell us what is going on in D.C. Well, George, it's a whole bunch of crazy going on in D.C. In fact, right now I'm actually en route back to D.C. from Charlottesville, Virginia, where I went and spoke at my alma mater in defense of Thomas Jefferson, the founder of the University of Virginia. <laughs> or not, Rich, Rich Lowry from National Review and I had to go down and do a speech defending Thomas Jefferson and his ideas and his great thoughts. And we did. And it was a great experience. Now we're heading back to D.C. I'll be at the Texans this weekend. But yeah, I, I sent a memo <clears throat> to my Texas colleagues and the Republican uh, delegation from Texas and uh, spread it around to uh, other colleagues in the House, uh, outlining in 13 pages, uh, I think, the case for impeaching Mayorkas. Now, some of our conservative brothers and sisters, George, they get hung up a little bit in belief that, quote, high crimes and misdemeanors means you must have violated a statute or committed some specific crime. And I understand that thinking, but if you go back and look at what the founders said, you know, something akin to maladministration, although that was actually specifically rejected by the founders for the known term of high crimes and misdemeanors, but high crimes and misdemeanors was known to uh, include when your leaders are specifically breaking with the public trust and not doing their job and breaking their oath. And that is what my 
Harris is doing. He, uh, with the backing of President Biden, is purposefully and willfully refusing to faithfully execute the law of the United States. For example, there's a law, as you know, George, you talked about it on your show, the Secure Fence Act of 2006, which requires, one, that the fence be built, and two, that we have operational control of our border. Well, any blind fool knows that we don't have operational control of our border. Any blind fool can see that we're currently paying people not to build a fence. President Trump set in motion contracting to build a fence following the law. And now we're not, we're not only not doing it, we're paying people not to do it, and we're piling up pieces of fence to rust in pastures in Texas. That's one example of dozens I could go into, but they're releasing people in the United States. They're purposely attracting people here under the false notion of claiming asylum. They're causing Americans to get hurt, die from fentanyl. They're causing migrants to die, American ranchers to get overrun, our hospitals and schools to get flooded. They're doing it on purpose. It's political. And they, they should be impeached, and we should start with Mayorkas for his failure to faithfully execute the laws of the United States. You know, well, there was a, a very interesting article that I read um, in the Washington Times uh, regarding how um, there was the, uh, well, Thomas Tom Holman, uh, my good buddy Tom Holman made the comment that uh, they are gutting, uh, defunding, so to speak, the uh, ICE enforcement uh, from within, and uh, they are also defunding the Border Patrol from within by just telling them not to do stuff. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, no, this is exactly right, George. And in fact, Tom, your good friend and mine, along with Mark Morgan, who, whom you also know, uh, Jason Jones, whom you also know, uh, they were all individuals that I consulted in putting this memorandum together because they know the facts so well. They know how precisely this administration is leaving our Border Patrol or ICE unable to do their job purposely, endangering their lives, by the way, in the process, endangering Americans but also consulted with some smart constitutional lawyers about how this case can be made. Because some of my colleagues in Texas and otherwise said, well, Jeff, this is a novel idea, right? We haven't really done this before. Well, there's some truth to that, although we can go back and look a little bit at the impeachments. But the, the bottom line is we've never had a president of the United States or a secretary who is so willfully and obviously refusing to enforce the laws and execute the laws such that we are actually harming and damaging the country. The opposite of securing the homeland. So it calls for Congress to use the tools the founders gave us to go after them. Frankly, I, you know, the founders probably had hope that you wouldn't have elected officials who would do this. But at the end of the day, they gave us tools for just such a case. And high crimes and misdemeanors certainly includes uh, failure to uphold your oath and defend the country. It really, you know, uh, it, it comes down to that. He is not doing his job. He is not protecting the uh, the, the the country from uh, uh, an invasion from the border. I mean, it's uh, very, very similar to, you know, uh, the Pentagon not doing its job of defending our country. I, I just, you know, I, I, I am amazed that people have any questions about uh, about not impeaching somebody like that. Uh, do they do they not? I mean, is, is there such denial in in Washington that um, the uh, problem is this is, is as grave as it is? Well, <clears throat> there is increasing awareness that the problem is as grave as it is. But what you have is you end up having members. I've got good friends of mine, uh, including in the Texas delegation, who just take for uh, gospel what the administration him or her about the state of the border. <clears throat> so, for example, I had a member yesterday tell me, hey, 90% of the Haitians uh, were sent back, and that's why we're having a slowdown and, uh, you know, the Haitians aren't uh, caravanning up. Well, hold on a second. Thousands of Haitians were released back across into Mexico because they chose, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. They fled back into Mexico once Texas DPS and others kind of showed up. Uh, thousands of Haitians were released. Only about a thousand, maybe fifteen hundred. We don't have the final number of Haitians were actually taken back to Haiti. So I, I think that's an overstatement. Now, yeah, it is true that once the spotlight, the spotlight was shined on them, that they started enforcing it more than they were. But too many of my colleagues just sort of accept this gospel and forget we have hundreds of thousands of gotaways, hundreds of uh, examples of dead migrants in South Texas. We have eleven thousand five hundred pounds of fentanyl that has been apprehended in our country. Americans are getting hurt. I mean, Americans are dying. And we've got to act accordingly. We've got the cartels, China, and a bunch of uh, folks that are at war with us, including our own president and secretary. Wow. Let me ask you uh, one more thing before I let you go. And that is this proposal, this outrageous proposal to pay uh, families of, of illegal aliens that have been separated at the border 
to pay them $450,000. Uh, it, I mean, you know, here they're talking about a, uh, a, a 1.9, probably more like $4 trillion budget that they want to uh, compromise with each other with the the Democrats, but uh, they, you know, they also want to talk about an amnesty and now propose to give illegal alien families $450,000 in reparations for being separated at the border. You know, George, it's uh, as if you don't need uh, more evidence on why the secretary is literally at war with the American people. Uh, uh, it's just, it's extraordinary, right? I mean, we, 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 we pay our service members uh, life insurance and benefits somewhere in the neighborhood of about a half a million dollars, okay, depending on how you add up. It's $400,000 life insurance policy, and you get $100,000, I think, for if a, if a service member is killed uh, in service to their country. There's some benefits for Gold Star families. I haven't added it all up, but you get my point, right? It's somewhere in that ballpark. And now you've got these incompetent buffoons saying that because somebody came here illegally, because there are policies in place to try to figure out how to deal with them, that we separated families. And like, we can debate the, 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 the right way to do that, right? None of us want to separate kids and parents. But let's be clear about what the uh, policies of the Biden administration are doing. They're separating parents, separating families. How? We have unaccompanied children pouring across our border. Don't cry, you know, cry me a river about your BS about separating parents when it's your policy causing unaccompanied alien children to be pouring across the border of the United States and being separated for their families. Or how about the separation of a you know fifty two year old married couple and the and the woman didn't get to see her husband as he was dying in a hospital and we separated him over these BS facts and mask mandates and the crap that this administration has uh, put onto the American people. So I, you know spare me their righteous indignation here. Uh, you're right. I mean you know first of all if they wouldn't have come illegally they wouldn't be separated. I mean that's that's number one. So I I, I, I you know. I really, really question these motives, Congressman. I thank you. Uh, we we're, we're gonna we're closing here on our time, but I thank you for taking time as usual to be with us. We need to get you back on again so that you can talk to us about this uh, this budget that um, the Democrats are reconciling among themselves uh, as to what uh, what's going to be in it. But apparently, Nancy says that uh, Nancy Pelosi says that uh, again. We've got to read it to find out. We've got to pass it in order to find out what's in it. <laughs> seconds that yesterday when I had an obligation to speak in defense of Jefferson University, I literally had to drive about halfway between D.C. and Charlottesville to figure out whether I could honor my commitment because they were sitting there holding us at bay, waiting for us to read a 2,600-page bill that they wanted to jam through the rules committee. Now, ultimately, they couldn't get the votes together. I was going to have to turn back around and go into D.C. to vote, or I could go honor my commitment made months ago based on the fact that we weren't supposed to have votes last night. They don't care because these idiots proxy vote. And they jerk us around while they play games with socialist policies. But we'll, we'll talk about that another day. God bless you, my friend. Thank you very, very much, folks. We've been listening. We've been talking with our good friend, Congressman Chip Roy from the 21st District of Texas. Thank you very much, Congressman. See you, brother. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Hi, folks. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador. Looking for information on immigration, borders, refugee resettlement, asylum claims, nationalism, and globalism? Go to BorderHawk.News. BorderHawk.News has up-to-date information on these topics and their impact locally, nationally, and internationally. BorderHawk.News has the news that's not covered by the other media or websites. Stay informed on one of the most important issues in this country, immigration. Go to BorderHawk.News. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio. And uh, being that it's Memorial Day, my friends, I thought it'd be appropriate to get uh, a friend of mine, Mr. John Baines, on the program, who is uh, not only a vet, but he's also working on a very, very important project here in San Antonio regarding uh, uh, the honoring of, of, of veterans. So uh, let me, uh, without further ado, uh, introduce you to Mr. John Baines. John is, uh, like I said, he was served in uh, in the Navy. He was a CB, in fact, uh, and uh, he was in Vietnam, uh, Micronesia, and the Trust uh, Territories, as part of the STAT team. I'm not sure what that means, but we will ask him. 
Uh, he's also worked in, in uh, real estate, uh, in, in the real estate industries here in uh, San Antonio. And um, he's head of a, um, uh, or a, of a company called Baylands, Baines Pasture Land Company. Uh, and, uh, but more importantly, I want to focus on this issue of um, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial that he is uh, working to put together here in San Antonio. Uh, John, welcome to the show. Uh, tell us, first of all, a little bit about your background and your service and what Veterans Day means to you. Well, first and foremost, Veterans Day was established to honor all of our military veterans, uh, all five branches of the military, and it's uh, it's a day for our country to salute the men and women who served our country in the military services. So uh, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. And uh, with regard to the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, actually, uh, November 9th marked the 35th anniversary of the dedication of the memorial and for those who are not familiar with it it's it's in the downtown area it's on veterans memorial plaza which is literally at the front doorsteps of the tobin center for the performing arts and uh, uh i came up with the concept of, of developing a memorial in san antonio when uh, uh, going back to 1982, when I attended the dedication of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C., uh, I had a profound observation uh, hit me that, uh, that uh, there are many, many people across the country, family members of those who perished in Vietnam, that uh, may never have the opportunity to see the memorial in Washington because they don't have the financial means to make that trip. And uh, with that in mind, uh, I thought, well, because these people don't have the financial means to make a, a trip to our nation's capital, wouldn't it be uh, nice to create Vietnam veterans memorials in every major city in the country so people could drive to a city near them to see that their sacrifices had not been in vain and that their sacrifices had, uh, were being... Uh, acknowledged and appreciated uh, by the uh, by our country and, and by their communities and uh, I felt what better way to start uh, this ambitious project uh, than to uh, than to create a Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Military City USA San Antonio and San Antonio's Vietnam Veterans Memorial is is very unique in that it uh, uh, is uh, to the best of my knowledge, is the only Vietnam Veterans Memorial in the country that depicts an actual battle, which was the Battle of Hill 881 South during the Quezon Hill fights in the spring of uh, 1967. And it is a three times life-size, 10-ton bronze sculpture uh, that, that depicts a Marine Corps radio operator uh, lending aid to a wounded comrade as he looks skyward uh, for a medical evacuation helicopter. Tell us, tell us about that battle, because I'm sure that a lot of folks, um, particularly young folks, uh, who you know who barely remember 9/11, <laughs> may not may not know anything about uh, any Vietnam bat battles. Well, during uh, the spring of 1967, uh, the North Vietnamese Army uh, uh, held the Quezon uh, uh, combat base uh, under siege, which was manned. Uh, primarily by uh, the Marine Corps, uh, there was there were some CBs there to to maintain the uh, the airstrip, uh, which was constantly being uh, uh, shelled uh, by the North Vietnamese from the surrounding hills. And the Marine Corps uh, felt like the only way to root those people out is to go up into those hills and, and get them. And uh, uh, the, the the various hills surrounding uh, uh, the case on combat base were, were numbered and hill 881 south was one of the hills that was uh, the north vietnamese army were firmly entrenched in those hills so the marines sent men up in there to uh, to, to root them out and take the hills back and, and destroy the uh, artillery emplacements so they would uh, discontinue the bombardment of the case on uh combat base and this was this was early in the uh, in the Vietnam conflict as I recall because uh, things got heated up later on particularly well, like in 1968 correct 
they really heated up the following year in uh-huh. that same area, the, the, the Quang Tri province, which right. is where Quezada uh, uh, located, uh, was probably some of the most heated uh, battles of the war. And, uh, of course, the Tet Offensive in, uh, in early 1968 uh, uh, affected the whole country. I mean, the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong staged attacks all over the country, and that's what the Tet Offensive was. That was some of the most heated uh, time frames of the war, and uh, uh, which was about a year after the Battle of Hill 881 South. Now, there was a second battle of Hill 881 South, and that was in 1968 as well. But the, uh, let, me, let me ask you this, John. Let me ask you this, because you, as a, as a Vietnam vet, uh, I recall the trouble, the very, very uh, nasty way that... Uh, Vietnam vets were received um, and now you're putting together this this uh, memorial uh, how do the two come together in your mind and in your heart well the creation of the memorials around the country and as I mentioned earlier uh, when we embarked on this project and my lord that's been we dedicated it in 1986 and uh, uh since that time, uh, you know, my vision was to see Vietnam veterans memorials in every major city in the country. Well, over the past 40 years, there are now uh, over a thousand Vietnam veterans memorials in, in small town squares in every major city in the country. So my my original vision uh, has become a reality. I'm pleased to say, and I think our country has. Uh, has had an opportunity to reflect on, on how the Vietnam veterans were treated, which was not very positive. Uh, and quite honestly, uh, in my opinion, uh, the responsibility for that falls squarely on the shoulders of the, uh, the media and the entertainment industry because they depicted Vietnam veterans as something in a light that was something less than positive. They depicted Vietnam veterans and Vietnam uh, uh, the, the troops and the airmen and the sailors coming home uh, is is the people who stuck up the Seven Eleven down the street, or were wife beaters, or drug al- uh, drug addicts, or, or alcoholics, and and I'm not suggesting that element didn't exist, but for the most part, uh, they were just everyday men and women who went to serve their country, and I think that uh, I think that uh, you know, gosh, when when our people came home from Desert Storm and they got the, des- the, the ticker tape parades and people were meeting them at the airport, uh, I feel like the American people realized they made a mistake uh, during uh, and shortly after the Vietnam War with how they treated the veterans. Uh, and I think that they have, have, uh, have determined that that's not the way we need to treat the people who go off to war uh, to defend our great nation and our our principles and our ideals, and I think that we've had a complete turnaround. And people ask me how I felt about all those ticker tape parades and and the welcoming our troops get today, and they ask me if I was resentful over that. And and, and of course, my my reaction has always been no. The way I, I feel, it's it's wonderful. I'm glad that the American people are doing that, and I do the same for our current day of military people. Hey John, uh, we're, we've got uh, we've got just another minute or so to to finish up to wrap up our interview. Uh, what what message would you leave people uh, on this Veterans Day? Well, the message I would leave would be to 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 honor, show great respect to the men and women who served our country because they went into harm's way and they they've made sacrifices. So the rest of us. Uh, can uh, uh, enjoy the liberty and the freedoms that we have. We wouldn't have all that if it weren't for the veterans. You got it. John, as we're closing up here, tell us again about uh, the memorial. Has it been paid for, uh, or do we need to support it still? Or Tell us about that. No, the, uh, the memorial was dedicated on November the 9th of 1986, and uh, a short two years thereafter, it was completely funded. It was not paid for by the city of San Antonio or Bear County or the state of Texas. It was paid for uh, through private contributions from our community. And the interesting thing about it is over 130,000 individual contributors uh, stepped up and made contributions to create the Vietnam Veterans Memorial and, uh, and Veterans Memorial Plaza. It was, a, it was a classic grassroots effort. 
and uh, uh, the man on the street is who paid for it, uh, which I always felt was very appropriate because uh, the sons of the working man are the people who fight our nation's wars. It's typically not the sons of the corporate CEOs or the politicians. And uh, but no, thank you very much for asking. But it uh, it has been paid in full for quite some time, and it uh, is has been uh, seen by literally hundreds of thousands of people that have come to San Antonio to see it. So it's it's worthwhile going to see for those who haven't had the opportunity to do so. And tell us again, where is it located? It is literally at the front doorsteps of the Tobin Center for the Performing Arts in downtown San Antonio. Gotcha. So, folks, if you are looking for something to do uh, to honor the veterans on uh, Veterans Day, uh, go out and look at the uh, at the memorial. John, thank you very, very much for joining us today and for uh, doing what you've done to honor the veterans, particularly the Vietnam vets. Um, well, George, thank you very much for inviting me to join you today. And uh, uh, my wife and I are, are uh, faithful listeners to your program. We believe in what you're doing, and you're a, a true patriot and a good man. And uh, thank you again for including me. It means a lot to me, George. Thank you. You got it. Folks, once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. And we've got our good friend, Mr. Ira Melman, from the Federation for American Immigration Reform in Washington, D.C. And uh, I had to reach out to Ira because uh, they have, uh, FAIR has been following this uh, ridiculous proposal uh, that uh, the uh, Biden administration has put forward to pay families that have been separated. Now, these are families that entered illegally into the United States. And uh, the proposal is to pay these families who were caught entering illegally $450,000 because they were separated. Uh, Ira, tell us your thoughts. (laughs) Tell us what FAIR has written and said about this. Well, I, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, they're having trouble finding a replacement host for Jeopardy. But I think if they have a, if they're looking for a replacement host for who wants to be a millionaire, uh, Joe Biden should be at the very top of their list. Uh, it, it, you know, they are offering people a huge sum of money, $450,000 uh, per person, uh, up to a million dollars for a family, uh, if they had been separated at the border when they were entering the United States illegally while they were violating our laws. And the Trump administration uh, separated the adults and the children as the law prescribes. Uh, they want to give these folks, as I said, $450,000 per person or a million dollars per family uh, because of what they went through under the Trump administration. Uh, you know, one of the interesting things is that the Trump administration did exactly the same thing that the Obama-Biden administration did at the border in 2015, uh, you know, under President Obama, where Joe Biden served as vice president. They were separating families. And by the way, it is it is a requirement because, uh, you know, when you come across the border without any documentation, the Border Patrol has an obligation to make sure that you're not trafficking these children, that these children actually belong to the adults that accompany them across the border. Uh, it is done in part for the safety of the children. Uh, the the uh, Trump administration also did it to discourage people from putting their children's risk, lives at risk by dragging them into the United States, putting them in the hands of smugglers. Uh, but the bottom line is there were no laws violated. Uh, you know, we can debate whether it was good policy or bad policy, but certainly uh, the Trump administration did not violate any laws. And there's no reason to compensate people uh, for up, with up to a million dollars for you know, the consequences of their own actions. You know, it, it is, it's very, very strange how they're so quick to compensate for supposed trauma. You know, now what is more traumatic than dragging a child, you know, to cross the border illegally? 
Yeah, uh, I, I mean, we, we've all seen, you know, the, the some of the horrible situations that these kids are in, abandoned in, in the desert, being thrown over the fence by uh, criminal cartels that smuggle them to the border who really don't care about the health and safety of these children. Uh, and yet somehow when the Border Patrol uh, very legitimately separated the adults and the children, uh, that we somehow now owe them a huge amount of money. And, and one other thing to point out here is that in many cases, the, uh, the separation, the long-term se- separation, was a result of the parents' decision uh, to accept return to their home country, but their decision also to leave their children here as unaccompanied minors, because unaccompanied minors are admitted to the United States. In, in many cases, it was the parents who decided, no, I'm not going to take my child back with me. I'm going to leave that child here in the United States. And, and you know, he, what's even more outrageous is that the compensation that the administration is considering giving the people who violated our laws far exceeds the compensation, for instance, that American service people who die in action defending their country, uh, they're far more than they're given. Uh, the survivors of somebody killed in combat gets $100,000. Uh, so an illegal alien who violated our law gets four and a half times as much as uh, the family of somebody who died defending the country. How does that make any sense? It really doesn't. I mean, it, it's absolutely outrageous. The other aspect of it is, suppose an American uh, did the same thing with their children uh, in in having the child accompany them to break a law. What uh, what would be the reaction of, right. of the you state and local government? Up in some, you know, government family service uh, bureaucracy, uh, you know, to try to make a determination whether you're a fit parent and. Look, I mean, we, we all understand why people want to bring their children to the United States. Um, you know, they, they are they are living in poverty. I mean, there's no question about the, about that. But nevertheless, they are putting their children in jeopardy. Uh, they are putting them in the hands of criminal organizations. They are ultimately responsible for what happens as a consequence of their decisions. Uh, and if the government is doing what is necessary to discourage people from doing that. Uh, There is no reason why we, the American people, need to compensate these families. And the total uh, estimated price tag for this is about a billion dollars coming out of the Treasury of the United States. This is money that could be put to other uses for the American people, uh, but the Biden administration is considering giving this to people who violated our laws. Yeah, it it really... You know, uh, it, it it flies in 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 the face of logic and reasoning. So, uh, do you think that this will happen? I mean, there seems to be a lot of pushback up on the hill regarding this uh, this idea and proposal. Do you do you think that the the the, the Republicans will stand their ground? Yes, I, I mean, it cl- clearly, look, I mean, everything is political, and this is a a great issue for uh, the president's opponents. Uh, you know. Administration, when it comes to illegal immigration, has been immune to any sort of public opinion. Uh, the, the public opinion po- polls show that uh, what they are doing has the support of 23% of the American public. I mean, that, that is about as low as you can possibly get. And yet they are continuing. They, they don't seem to care what the American public thinks. Uh, their objective is to create facts on the ground. They just want to get as many people in here as possible uh, because they believe it serves some long-term political interest. But, you know, this is somehow different. Now we're actually giving money away to people who violate our laws. We're giving them more money than we compensate the families of American service people who've been killed in action. Those 13 people who died outside of Kabul airport, their survivors are getting far less in compensation than these illegal aliens. Uh, You know, you've got to think at some point uh, the Biden administration recognizes that they simply cannot voice this on the American public. Really, I, it, 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 you know, they've got to, I, it just seems like they've got to wake up in some form or fashion. Let me... Well, you know, there is, you know, we have obviously today's election day, we have uh, elections going on around the country. I, I, maybe they're going to get the message just by how the voters uh, respond to what has been going on for the past 10 months or so. Uh, but, you know, again, the, the, they understand that their immigration policies are not popular with the American public, uh, and, and they just don't 
seem to care. They, they are willing to pay the short, short-term political costs uh, in order to achieve what they think is a longer-term end. Um, it's exasperating, uh, and it's certainly it is obscene that we are paying illegal aliens more than we pay the families of survivors uh, of people who were killed in combat. Uh, and yet this happens every day. It really, it really is. Ira, do you think do you think that they will ever get the message, or are they so focused on the uh, on the agenda, on the long term agenda, that they really don't care? Well, you know, the immigration policy is run by ideologues. Uh, if you look at Alejandro Mayorkas, who is the Secretary of Homeland Security, uh, the memos he's issued three memos within the past month, basically abolishing ICE. You know, Joe Biden, when he was a candidate, said he would not abolish ICE. Uh, the agency still exists, uh, but if you look at the totality of the three memos that were put out by Alejandro Mayorkas, it, it has ceased to function in any meaningful fashion. Uh, he has said that. Basically, there is nobody who is subject to immigration enforcement, uh, and there's nowhere that ICE can go to enforce the law against those few remaining people who might still be subject to uh, immigration enforcement. So when you have a policy that has been put in the hands of ideologues, uh, you know, these people don't care about the political consequences. They put their ideology first, and this seems to be what's happening. It really, truly does. Uh, you know, the only thing I guess we can just hope for is that is that the... Um is 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 that the elections send a message in some form or fashion and and that they listen to it <laughs> yeah yeah, uh, look, I mean, the, the Biden administration may not care, uh, but there are a lot of Democrats in uh, uh, running for a lot of other offices who are going to be very concerned about this. Uh, I, I'm not sure that, you know, outside of a small group of people on the far left, uh, that there are that many Democrats who are willing to sacrifice their own political careers uh, in pursuit of uh, an immigration agenda that has no public support. So, uh, it, it, you know, the, the consequence of an election may not have that much effect on the Biden administration. Um, you know, the guy's 79 years old. He, his political future isn't that isn't that long. Uh, but there are a lot of other people who might be concerned about their own political futures uh, who are going to back away or, or actually stand up and oppose the, what the administration is doing. It, it really does. Ira, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us. Anything else that you'd like to add before we let you go? No, can't anything else <laughs> well, I'm I th- sure there'll be new outrage next week so oh gosh it doesn't seem to stop does it it just doesn't seem to stop no they provide plenty to talk about <laughs> oh Ira we've been talking with our good friend Ira Melman from the uh, Federation for American Immigration Reform in Washington D.C. fair Ira thank you very very much so much for taking time to be with us today thank you Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Hi, folks. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador. Looking for information on immigration, borders, refugee resettlement, asylum claims, nationalism, and globalism? Go to BorderHawk.News. BorderHawk.News has up-to-date information on these topics and their impact locally, nationally, and internationally. BorderHawk.News has the news that's not covered by the other media or websites. Stay informed on one of the most important issues in this country, immigration. Go to BorderHawk.News. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. And we've got uh, our good friend, Mr. Todd Benzman, uh, from the Center for Immigration Studies. And he uh, has a very, well, I would call it disturbing. I mean, that's the only adjective I can think of. Uh, It's a very disturbing uh, video regarding the Darien Gap in Panama. And uh, I'll ask Todd to tell us where the Darien Gap is. And uh, he can explain what uh, he has videotaped. Todd, thank you very much for taking time to be with us as usual. Tell us about this video that you just did. Sure. So the Darien Gap is recently very much in the news. Uh, The New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Associated Press have really elevated 
uh, the, the profile of this area on the Panama-Columbia border. It's a jungle area uh, because it is a place where a very um, diverse uh, global migration is taking place in numbers that are historic. Uh, this is a, a spot on the global migration route to the southern border where we now have about 25% of all immigrants hitting our border are not from Central America or Mexico. They're from all over the entire world. And so the, the, the way they get there, and including all of the Haitians that we uh, you know, became aware of when the Del Rio migrant camp happened, uh, are all coming through the Darien Gap. And it's a jungle, it's a jungle route that is about 80 miles and people get there by going through Colombia uh, and then uh, hiring smugglers into Panama. And they are numbering uh, so far just in the last nine or 10 months of the Biden administration, more than 100,000. Oh my gosh. Yeah, 100,000 people from around the world. And this is, of course, a lot are, you know, Ecuadorans and Brazilians and Haitians and Cubans but also a great many of them are Pakistanis and Syrians and Iraqis and Bangladeshis and people from countries of terrorism concern. And this makes the Darien Gap a national security threat, uh, a national security connection to the immigration problem uh, that I think Americans mostly don't understand. And the first time that I've seen uh, really, since I've been covering the gap, I've been down, I went down there in twenty late twenty eighteen for the first time, and I most recently returned from the Costa Rica segment of the trail, which is just upstream from the Darien Gap. Uh, that people don't really understand that uh, this is a spot that is a bottleneck and can be addressed through policy if we ever wanted to to address it. The video that you're talking about are video, uh, there, there's a compendium of video that, um, from my own reporting of this kind of immigration, it's called extracontinental immigrants, uh, that, um, that are up on my website, toddbensman.com, and I thought it would be helpful to bring all of these videos back up now that the Darien Gap is uh, very much in the policy forefront. Now, now, when when you describe intracontinental migration, uh, you are talking about these are not folks crossing; these are not Mexicans or even Salvadorans, Central Americans crossing into our border. These are people coming from everywhere in the world, all over every continent, extracontinental. That's right. That's right. They're coming. I mean, you name it. And I've met them. Uh, Mauritanians and Senegalese and Bangladeshis and Iranians. I've been on that trail. I've been to the Darien province of Panama, uh, where in, in late 2018, uh, and done these video reports from there. Uh, they didn't get much attention at the time, but now uh, this is a major issue because we've never seen numbers this historic, and just to give you an idea, we maybe get 10,000 a year or less come through the Darien Gap in any given calendar year, and we're looking at 10 times that amount already, This, and we don't even have a full calendar year yet. And what's more disturbing is that when they get to the uh, U.S. border, um, in many cases, in many ways, they just declare asylum and get uh, released into the United States. Is that not true? Uh, for the most part, that is true, uh, especially the family groups. Um, a great, great many, I'd say maybe the vast majority coming through the Darien Gap right now, not, not, not all of them certainly, are family groups who are lured by the Biden administration policy of granting them legalization immediately after they reach the southern border. So the rewards of this journey are guaranteed. They're locked in by Biden policy. And that is enticing 
there's huge numbers. That's why we have the huge numbers coming in. The problem, George, is that people are dying in droves in the Darien Gap. Women and children, and men too, are dying making this trip. And that's not necessarily an indication of, oh my God, they're so desperate. It's an indication that they're guaranteed entry once they reach the southern border. They're almost assuredly getting in, and they just don't want to miss the opportunity, and they're willing to take the risk. What, what is what are they dying from? What's what's happening that that well, uh, and a lot of things. Well, for one, um, you know, most of them are ill prepared uh, for these journeys. They're not in physical condition. They, you know, they've there's baby strollers and you know sandals for footwear, and they don't have the food. And people get injured out there. They're very rugged trails. They get injured and can't keep up, and they're left behind and they just starve to death or are left to the elements. Um, there are also roving gangs of rapists and uh, thugs and robbers who uh, routinely uh, you know, set up trail roadblocks, I guess, for lack of a better word, and uh, force people at gunpoint to give them all their food and money and cell phones, and they just leave them out there. Um, they rape, pillage, and murder, and shoot, and, um, you know, just victimize these people as they're coming through, and um, keeping in mind that the people are making the decision to come through because of Joe Biden directly. They say it out loud all the time. So they're dying for the Joe Biden policy directly on his shoulders. And, and, and of course, the issue when you bring that up to the current administration, to the Biden administration, they say that it's the fault of the policies and the that we don't let people in fast enough. Right, which is absurd. I mean, you from the immigrant perspective, they're getting in plenty fast. They're perfectly happy getting in. All they care about is that they get in. Um, the issue really is that... Um, when they don't get in, when they get pushed back to Mexico, for example, like they were under Donald Trump, they don't bother spending the money to take the risk because they're just going to end up in Mexico. Uh, so they didn't come. They stopped coming. The numbers coming through the Darien Gap uh, during the final year of the, um, a couple years of the Trump administration was very relatively low. Uh, and then just the news that the Biden administration was coming and had won office uh, set the thing off. That's when we saw this immediate, straight up, vertical 180, straight up into the sky numbers uh, on news that Biden was coming in. That, that's and that, change on that. You know that that is so that is so incredible. I mean, we are you know our, this administration is encouraging. And rewarding the those that make it, but uh, just absolutely negligent and careless about those that are not making it. Well, it's it's absolutely the for, you know one of the most inhumane possible policies, resulting in misery and death for women and children. That's a, that's that's putting it um, as as simply as the facts demonstrate. That those are actually just simple facts, and those women and children that are coming and their their um, the family units uh, that are coming through that gap in these huge, huge numbers right now uh, are doing it because we are allowing family units to enter immediately and get legalization. It just is, it's outrageous. So where do we go from here? I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I, we in South Texas are just at our wits end. Where do we go from here? Well, uh, you know, listen, this is all about policy. The, 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 what's happened in the Darien Gap, if you watch my video reporting uh, from there, uh, you'll see that that this is about policy. Policies actually make concrete uh, difference on the ground. It's just about policy. And 
until the Biden administration decides that it, that its policy is murderous and should should be stopped and is bad on a number of other counts as well besides the fact that the migrants who are chasing it are dying in the chase uh, it's just going to continue it, it, I don't see any change whatsoever it's going to escalate it's going to get worse and stay worse and then the next month and the next year even worse than the one before and that's what we're looking at for the next three years unless there's some kind of an about face now there are some very simple things that could be done to stop this particular this kind of migration is about a quarter of all illegal immigration at the southern border right now which is astounding it's usually two percent or one percent uh very small numbers it's 27 percent now almost 30 percent um from the, around the world uh panama and colombia and costa rica are the three key countries They're, those three countries are allied countries we have a lot of influence over them and those countries actively as a matter of policy facilitate the movement of this traffic through their territory north they should be made they could be made to end that immediately to stop to close their borders and make all those immigrants pool up there until the ones behind them say oh everybody's pooling up the borders are closed let's not go and that would end the whole thing it would just simply end yeah but that would take that would take a responsible administration who is willing to do that and these folks just seem to want more people to come and encourage it and I just uh, you know it, it, it's uh, it's at the what's it tell the folks where they can follow you and where they can see this um, this video that's right you could go to toddbensman.com that's my website and you can uh, you know on my face page uh, front page you can um, find my reporting from the border and further down, you can find my reporting from Costa Rica and from, from America's other southern border. Uh, those are all at cis.org, Center for Immigration Studies.org. Uh, I have a Getter account now, T. Bensman at Getter, and uh, Bensman Todd on Twitter. Excellent. Todd, thank you very, very much. Folks, we've been talking with our good friend, Mr. Todd Bensman from the Center for Immigration Studies. Todd, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us again. Always good to be here. Thank you. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.